Welcome to a special edition of Between the Headphones, Behind Enemy Bylines, the preseason preview podcast. I'm Owen Warden, your host for this podcast miniseries, where I'll talk with several student journalists from a few of Georgia's opponents for the 2023 season. Next up is Cole Park from Kentucky, Georgia's sixth opponent of the season. And we're back with another preseason preview podcast. Today, we've got a familiar foe in Kentucky, but representing them here, we got Cole. Cole, go ahead and introduce yourself, man. Hey, glad to be here. My name is uh, Cole Park. I'm the sports editor for the Kentucky Colonel at the University of Kentucky. Uh, I'll be a junior in the fall, going into um, hopefully my last two years at UK. Hopefully no um, no additional years after that. But um, yeah, I've been... Um, Got started with the Colonel as a first semester freshman, was promoted to assistant as a second semester freshman, and uh, became the head editor uh, my first semester of sophomore year, and um, looking forward to another football season. Absolutely. No, that's awesome, man. Uh, but yeah, you just dropped it, looking forward to another football season, before, but before we can even get to another football season, let's talk about last year, right? Kentucky had a very interesting season. At one point, ranked in the top 10, you know, um, but I'll let you take this away. Go ahead and uh, detail me. How was it? What were some of the highlights, lowlights for the team? It wasn't a year of too many highlights, to be honest with you. Um, honestly, one of the biggest highlights for the entire team happened before the season when Kentucky was ranked in the uh, preseason AP poll for the first time since the 1970s. It marked uh, a big milestone for head coach Mark Stoops and the program he's trying to build there. Unfortunately, um, once once the season got going, it was kind of all downhill from there. I mean, you did mention they got up there quite a bit in the top ten. Um, to be honest with you, I attribute that to a um, big-time overselling of a win at Florida after Florida got a big-time overselling win over Utah, who was expected to be a lot better than they ended up being. Not that Utah was bad last year, but they definitely weren't what people thought they were going to be. And neither really was Florida. Um, they kind of fell off a little bit after that, too. So, you know, a lot of teams were overhyped, and eventually uh, they all regressed to the mean and kind of fell back to where they should be. Um, so a big highlight for Kentucky was being ranked that high. It was, it's been a while since they've been ranked that high, um, I believe. But um, a lot of lowlights, too. You know, one in particular that sticks out was the loss at home to Vanderbilt. Um, you know, Vanderbilt, they're, they're building a program there for sure, but um, I want to say that that had been the first time in a while they had lost at home to Vanderbilt, and that was not – it just was a very bad, bad look on the team. Uh, then you had the uh, the matchup against South Carolina. Um which the score wasn't very lopsided in that one, but it's one of those deals where even though the score wasn't too bad, Kentucky was never in that game. I mean, the offense was flat, dead. I mean, that was the game that Levis was out. And, um, you know, no disrespect to Kai Sharon. He did the best he could as a backup, but that offense was not rallying around him. And in general, a low light of the entire season was the offense, even with Levis and um, Chris Rodriguez both being drafted in the NFL. Um, it was not a good year offensively no no it was it was definitely it was definitely a brutal offensive season and I mean you can even look at at the Kentucky Georgia game and see how low scoring of a game that was and I think that's just a good representation on 
you know, Kentucky, Kentucky's offense just somehow could never get going despite having the pieces, you know? Yeah. I'm hoping, um, hoping it'll look a little different this year. I attribute a lot of what happened to, uh, they actually, we'll get to this a little bit later, but, um, in terms of coaching changes, uh, the offensive coordinator from last year was no longer with the team. Um, he was a big NFL guy, um, quarterbacks coach for the 49ers, but, he just couldn't seem to really get it going. I don't know if he was trying to do too much or just trying to implement too much of an NFL style, but it, for whatever reason, it just it wasn't working. He tried multiple things throughout the year. At one point, he moved from the sideline up into the press box, so he had a more bird's-eye view of the field, and it still just wasn't – he just couldn't really get it going. Yeah, yeah, no, he, I don't know what it was, but he just couldn't figure it out. But the good news is he's gone – and a familiar face is back. So go ahead and detail some of those uh, them, them coaching uh, staff changes now under uh, Mark Stoops. So Stoops has been there since 2013. Uh, it was his first season. Um, multiple 10-win seasons, if you count bowl games, which you know most people do factor that into 10-win seasons because it's a lot easier to get 9 than it is to get 10 regular season. Um, and he's, he's really been kind of turning the program around and, you know, Obviously, it'll, it'll, it's to be seen how the offense does this year, but if you're going off of the last year he was here, like you mentioned, a returning face, it should be very good. On defense, we've still got Brad White. His first season was 2019. He leads a good unit there. I mean, this is the same team that, like, last year held Georgia to 16 points, which was impressive, especially if you saw, you know, what that team went on to do after that. So, uh, impressive showing there, even if Kentucky's only able to muster six themselves. But on the offense, um, Scangrello's gone. And they bring back Liam Cohen. Um, he was our offensive coordinator back in, um, I want to say 2021, after joining us from the Rams. I believe he went back to the Rams in the offensive coordinator role and just didn't quite you know, mesh there. Um, I want to say he left kind of on his terms that he kind of knew it just wasn't working there and decided to come back. And um, I mean, you can look at year one to year two, what Will Levis was under Liam Cohen's offense versus Rich Scangarello's offense and just how the offense as a whole operated. I mean, certainly there was some offensive line troubles last year too, but not all of that can be put on the offensive line. There was a lot of not great play calling, not great decision-making, and at the very least, all we have to go off of is under Liam Cohen, that offense thrived. It was electric. They won 10 games, uh, won a Citrus Bowl, and they're looking to do it again. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you look at you look at Will Levis's perception – going into the year and then coming out of it. And I think Liam Cohen did so well for him. And I'm really excited what he's going to be doing for the new guys that are there. And we'll definitely touch on them later. But again, continuing to talk about Will Levis, talking about Chris Rodriguez, these are really talented players that ended up leaving the program. Who were some of the key players that did leave the team, whether it was through the draft like those two guys or maybe even through the transfer portal? Obviously the big two were Levis and C-Rod. C-Rod's just – like a school-leading running back that is in the record books. So, um, you know, tough to lose him there, um, even with some off-the-field things that had him suspended some last year. Um, Will Levis, you know, obviously I'm sure for a lot of schools, maybe a school like UGA, for example, Will Levis may not have set the world on fire necessarily as a quarterback, but, I mean, you look at who Kentucky had before Will Levis, and I, you know, personally, you know, growing up, I – I appreciate what a lot of those guys did and tried to do, but having a quarterback that could throw almost the length of the field just 
like Kentucky fans' minds were collectively blown <laughs> in the stands, like, oh my gosh, we have a quarterback that can throw the ball again. And, you know, he meant a lot to a lot of people year, that first year where, you know, it felt like, you know, even even um, if maybe a 10-win season and a Citrus Bowl win may not be as super, super big for a school like Alabama or Georgia, you know, for Kentucky, where just, you know, not too long ago they were a two-win team, it meant a lot to see what that program was turning into and that Kentucky really could, at the very least, compete for at least a half with a team who would go on to win the national championship. Um, so big loss there um, and were represented. I mean, obviously he lost a little bit of favor in the second year. Um, I don't have as much of that on him. I mean, the dude had heart. You can't take that away from him. I mean, he dislocated his shoulder, popped it back in place, and only missed a drive. I mean, what can you really say about that? That He wanted to be there. I know a lot of people are not super happy that he and um, – he and C-Rod opted out of the bowl game, but I mean, it was not necessary. It wasn't a Citrus Bowl. We'll say that it was not a Citrus Bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Music City Bowl just doesn't have the same ring to it, you know. And I obviously ended up going in the second round, but I I'm not gonna blame a guy who, at the very least, seems to be a first-round NFL talent for not willing to risk an injury in a Music City Bowl. You know, not that. You know, Kentucky used to be a school that did care a lot about the Music City Bowl, and I'm sure some people still do, but a lot of people, especially last year and what the expectation was, it just felt like it was beneath them. You know, it's maybe a little pompous that a school who could barely make a bowl game years ago is above the Music City Bowl, but um, it was just a disappointing year, and I don't, I don't blame him for not wanting to risk a pointless injury in that, in that game. And I don't look. I look at the final score. It was twenty-one to zero against Iowa, and I I just don't think it matters. I mean, it just doesn't. To be honest with you, it was a Music City Bowl between two teams who underachieved. <laughs> what can you really say? Um, in terms of other departures, I mean, you had a corner, Carrington Valentine, declared for the draft, was drafted by the Packers um, in the two hundreds. Um, he was a guy who early on, you know, maybe he made some mistakes, but he seemed to really come into his own, made some really good plays. Um, he got his first interception last season, and um, he was a guy that was pretty reliable. Uh, we didn't lose a ton of super, super impactful transfers. A lot of guys who were second or third strings that, you know, realized that they weren't going to get their spot. I mean, one that seemed perhaps bigger than it was was uh, Keontae Goodwin. He was pretty hyped up when he came into the program at first, uh, offensive lineman, but Despite the hype uh, coming into it, his big announcement, I mean, he just, he couldn't, despite being a freshman, he just couldn't seem to find a place on the team for whatever reason. He just couldn't really seem to find his fit, and it just wasn't working, so he made the decision to leave. He he had to go to Florida, but I believe he's no longer enrolled there. I think there's some family issues going on, so he wanted to go back home to his family, so I can't blame him for that at all. Um, you know, tough situation there for him, but I don't think there was... Um, there was a ton of major player changes other than Levis and Sierra that the program can't or hasn't perhaps recovered from from incoming transfers. Yeah, and 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 you I mean Carrington Valentine alone I think is a really fun player. I thought he went a little bit later than he probably should have. Uh, I thought he was a pretty talented guy um that should be a pretty fun corner um especially for a Packers team that's had pretty good success in developing guys like that. Um so I'm excited to see what he can do NFL wise, but yeah, it did kind of feel like Kentucky did a little bit more work taking guys out of the portal rather than sending guys in. Um, 
So I'll let you kind of talk about that. Who are some of the guys they brought in from the portal as well as from their uh, 2023 recruiting class? Well, I got four here, four incoming transfers that I think are, are pretty big, big pieces. Um, obviously, you can't start anywhere other than Devin Leary, incoming quarterback from NC State. I mean, when people saw that, I mean, I think there were fans who literally started salivating. I mean, he he's just a guy. I mean, I don't want to, you know, automatically make a comparison between the guy that just left, but he's a guy that when you look at what Liam Cohen was able to turn Will Levis into when he came out of Penn State, and you look at Devin Leary, a guy who maybe didn't live up to the expectations he had for himself at NC State, coming into a Liam Cohen offense, I mean, you can't help but get excited for what he could potentially do. I mean, you look at year one Will Levis here, and you're like, man, this guy could go in. If he comes back for another year after next year, he could be just like Levis was in the potential preseason, maybe didn't deserve to be there, but in the preseason talks for, um, you know, those trophies. So, um you can't help but get excited about Devin Leary. Also brought in Ray Davis, running back from Vanderbilt. Um, he he did really really well there. Um, like I said, they helped beat Kentucky. I think they picked up another SEC win at the same t- uh, as well. I think they beat Florida, maybe. Um, could be wrong on that, but um, you know, that's Vandy's a program that doesn't usually win a ton of SEC games, and you know seeing them win a couple was pretty impactful. And I think he was a big part of that. He was a really really strong running back, and. Um, like I said, when you lose a guy like Chris Rodriguez, you're automatically looking for a guy who can come in and maybe fill that role. And I think a lot of people are hopeful that Ray Davis can, perhaps will. Um, the other two I got are kind of similar. I mean, it wasn't a big surprise that Keontae Goodwin transferring out of the program came shortly after they brought in Marquez Cox from Northern Illinois. I mean, big offensive lineman. You expect him to make an impact immediately. Not a guy that like is going to be in highlight reels or anything. That most offensive linemen aren't, but a guy that you expect to be reliable, sturdy, and can protect Devin Leary. Um, something that the team struggled with last year with Will Levis taking sacks, losing yards. I mean, I believe last year he had negative rushing yards because of how many sacks he took. And some of those, you know, he held on to a little bit too long. But at the same time, when a quarterback keeps getting sacked, it can't be his fault every time, you know? Um, and then on top of that, with Carrington going in the draft, um, Felt notable that they brought in J.Q. Hardaway, a corner from Cincinnati. Obviously, Cincinnati is a program that's going through a coaching change there, so a lot of guys are kind of looking for um, perhaps other places they want to go. You know, this isn't the coach I agreed to play for, so I don't want to play here anymore. I came here for you, not for the school. Um, So looking at other places to go, and um, Hardaway chose Kentucky. So I'm not going to say that he's going to be in the NFL in two years or anything like that, but um, when you lose a guy like Carrington Valentine, you're looking for a guy who you know can come in and fill in that role, a guy who has experience and isn't going to lose his head. And, you know, Cincinnati is a, a school who, despite being in the um, in the American, joining the Big 12 soon, um, if not already, who, despite being a group of five school for a little while, you know, they went to the playoffs. So they, they played against, and they didn't win, but they played against the best of the best. And they, um, they've been, you know, put through a trial by fire. So hopefully... Hopefully Hardaway is able to kind of fill in that role that uh, Valentine's leaving behind a little bit. No, absolutely. I, I, I mean, JQ I thought was such a big ad because, I mean, any Cincinnati corner lately feels like a good grab. It's kind of like grabbing a wide receiver from, from Ohio State. It's just kind of like you feel good about it, and especially when it's another 6-2-190 build. I mean, it's, it's just promising, and especially as a sophomore, he's going to be able to just play with that team for a little while. But another guy I wanted to bring up, Keyshawn Silver from UNC. Um, I don't know necessarily he'll be great. I know he was really highly ranked, former five-star coming out of high school. 
um, comes over from UNC. He just feels like a Kentucky player. Like, I don't know if necessarily he'll be good. He might have just kind of lost out on the potential and might not be the guy that he was hyped up to be. But, like, again, he feels like a Kentucky player, and I'm excited to see him. And he's just big and physical, and I think he's going to be a fun piece if they can develop him on that defensive line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of excitement about a lot of incoming players. And to be honest with you, rightfully so. I think there's a lot of guys who, like you said, they feel like they belong in Kentucky. They feel like they're going to fit in perfectly to that scheme. And a lot of people are very, very excited to see what they can accomplish there. Absolutely. Not to mention, I mean, I think you also brought in the running back from NC State, too. So, like, just NC State additions out the wazoo. <laughs> um, but then, I, but again, I'm so excited to see Devin Leary in this Kentucky offense. And I mean, he's going to have such a fun team to play with. He's got to, I mean, bringing, bringing back their OC is, is so useful for him. And, and, you know, the wide receivers weren't too great last year for Kentucky. I mean, Wandale departing definitely left a bit of a hole, but it's another year. They're a little bit older. Um, and I'm excited to see what they and the other key returnees can bring to this team. So if you don't mind, walk us through some of these key returnee pieces for this Kentucky uh, offense and defense. Yeah, absolutely. So, I tend to operate in fours on this. So I got four names written down here that I'm feeling confident about. Um, kind of like you said last year, though, I mean, losing losing Wandale was tough, um, even though he was at Nebraska for a few years. A lot of people don't, you know, outside don't necessarily know this, but he was a Mr. Kentucky football before he went to Nebraska. So he was a guy that, like, everyone here was like, please go to Kentucky, please go to Kentucky. So seeing him come home, that was a big deal for a lot of people. It was like a homecoming for that player. And, you know, he didn't disappoint. You know, obviously, Levis had a really great year. Um, that year, but also, um, you know, they say that a great wide receiver can make a decent quarterback look a lot better than he is, and Wandale did that a few times, you know, he he went after the ball a lot of times, and that's something that, you know, not necessarily every time, but you see it a lot with, like, younger wide receivers sometimes last year, they weren't able to, or didn't know necessarily to do that as much, they were kind of running their route, and if the ball didn't get there, it didn't get there, but Wandale was a guy who, you know, took that initiative to go get that ball, you know, make the play, make something out of nothing. And he had some spectacular catches and definitely, definitely hurt to lose uh, Wandale. But I thought there was some promise last year, too, with a uh, transfer Tavion Robinson. You know, I thought he did well. But um, speaking of the returnees, mostly, I mean, the big two were the two freshmen, Dane Key and Barry Down Brown. I mean, especially Barry Down Brown. He had a couple drops throughout the year that, you know, you got to work on those hands. But, man, that, that um, kickoff return he had, that speed he got, I mean, that – if you're that fast, you know, if you can work on if you can work on the catching, which I think you can, if you're that fast, there's not a whole lot of people who can stop you, and that that shows a lot of promise. Dane Key also, um, Dane Key had a lot of flashes of you know being a guy who was gonna latch onto that ball and bring it down no matter what happened, and you know be a real um, be a real clutch guy coming down with the ball in a tough situation. So I think there's a lot of people really 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 excited about those two guys with uh, Devin Leary coming in, Liam Cohen coming back, and seeing what those two freshmen with a year of experience under their belt, with another year of training, can really, really do in, um, in this offensive scheme. Uh, like I said, I think a lot of people are really feeling good about the offense, and maybe it's getting too ahead of themselves, but you know, after you saw what Liam Cohen was able to do in 2021, you can't help but feel excited about what these guys can be. You, you, know, you feel like he's an artist, and he's got all the brushes, he's got all the paints he needs to just paint something beautiful. Um, on the other side, another artist that is a little too underappreciated is Brad White on the defense. You know, that defense has been sturdy, and it hasn't been perfect, 
But Brad White himself would tell you that. He's not a coach who shies away from saying, hey, we didn't do this today, we didn't do that today, we need to do better. Um, he takes a lot of pride in, you know, he's one of those tough defensive guys. Like, I want him to get no points. I want to stop him every drive. You know, he, he takes a lot of pride in what he does, and he, he runs a good a good unit. Um, you got some guys like Octavius Oxendine, J.J. Weaver, who are coming back with years of experience, and I'm really hoping, um, you know, confident that these guys can make impacts. You know, Octavius traveled down for SEC Media Days, got to speak to some of the press, uh, represent the program. And I'm thinking it could be a really, really big year for him. I mean, these are guys, especially that with years of experience, you're starting to think about where am I going to go after this? Am I going to kind of build a future for myself doing this? And there's a lot on the line for these guys. So, you know, obviously you like hearing people that have got nothing to lose, but also, on the other hand, someone who has everything to lose. You know, they're going to fight with everything they have to make something of this. So uh, these are guys who are really trying to perform now. They're trying to be their best and, you know, they're playing college football. They want to win trophies. They want to win big bowl games. So, you know, one last or maybe a couple last go-arounds, and they're going to be giving everything they got. No, absolutely. And I think Octavius, for one of the best names in college football, might be one of the most underrated defensive linemen in college football. I really, really like him. And I remember when I was going to put in my SEC Media Day votes, he wasn't on the list, and I was surprised because I was like, I feel like I wanted to give him a vote. I really like his game. Um is he necessarily the flashiest player? Not necessarily, but I think he fulfills a role on the defensive line that I really personally like, um, just from just from a film perspective of just watching a guy work and stuff like that. So I think he's a fun player, and again, he's got a fun name to match, um, even though he's not flashy. But no, I completely agree. And, and the wide receiver duo of Barry and Brown and, and Dane Key I think is so promising because they're so young, you know, and, and, and they're two different types of wide receivers, so it's great to have them as a pair and Tavion Robinson, another guy, just having him in the slot, I think it's just going to be fun. So either way, I think it's a fun receiving core. Um, I think it's going to be kind of something that we saw where um, very, very like UNC. I know we talked a little bit about UNC today, but a very UNC situation. You know, Sam Howell leaves. Um, were before or sorry, before Sam Howell leaves his final year, you know, he loses his top receivers and stuff like that. And, and it's a bit of a down year. And then the next year, the younger guys had a year of experience, and then they're starting to play really well with Drake May and stuff like that. So I think we could easily see a, t a situation akin to that here with this Kentucky offense. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, kind of like a point you said earlier about Octavius not necessarily being the most flashy. I mean, that's kind of Brad White's defense in general. I mean, there's a lot of guys who you know, don't always make those super highlight reel plays, but they get the stops and they count. And I think Octavius is a guy who does that, you know, like you said. Not always the most flashy, not a guy you're always going to see in the highlight reels, but a guy who can be consistent and reliable. And, um, yeah, I definitely agree, too. I think having that year of experience with the wide receivers is going to be absolutely huge. You know, these guys have got a tough schedule this year, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but these guys have played against Georgia's and at Florida and, you know, ten at Tennessee. So they, they've got experience. They've been fed to the wolf, stone to the fire, whatever you want to say. They know what's going to be expected of them. And now it's just time, you know, they're getting every year they're here, they're getting stronger, they're getting faster, you know, they're, they're improving their game and it's all you can really ask for. No, absolutely. And, and with that kind of training stuff, I mean, that leads us perfectly into spring, you know, spring practice, getting ready for the, for, uh, for their spring game. I mean, what names kind of kept popping up during that spring game and during those spring practices coming out of, uh, yeah, just coming out of practices. What were some of the names popping up? 
Yeah, so I got a couple names written down here. Uh, I do want to go ahead and say, uh, I know it's uh, something we're going to discuss. We didn't, Kentucky actually didn't have a spring game this year. Um, Kroger Field is getting new turf laid down, so they were not able to host a game. You know, they got a new video board, they got a new um, big, big um, off-season announcement. Uh, you know, Kentucky and Vanderbilt were two of the only schools that didn't have indoor practice facilities. That was something Mark Stoops said, like, hey, if I'm going to re-sign this big extension, I want an indoor practice facility. Obviously, he did sign that extension. So, um, UK had just recently built Kentucky Proud Park, the new baseball field. Looks beautiful. Not too long ago, so they tore down the old baseball stadium. They're building a big indoor track and field facility over there. Um, which, because Nutter Fieldhouse, the former indoor training facility for football, was not football specific, which is what I should say. They had an indoor facility, not a football specific one. It was shared with track, and um, you know the limitations when you're during to do offense, wide receiver drills, and you've got a running track around the field. It's not always the best. Um, so they took out the track out of there. I believe that indoor facility is done by now, I want to say. with uh, They basically just re- renovated Nutter Fieldhouse into that full football-specific indoor facility, and they're building the indoor track facility elsewhere where the old baseball stadium used to be. So because of all that, because of the upgrades to Kroger Field, this big um, initiative to really – Increased the value of Kentucky football. Um, they did not have a spring game. They had an open practice instead. Um, and there was a couple big names that could shine in that one. Um, you know, obviously, Dan Key and Devin Leary were big talking points. You know, it was the first time a lot of people really got to see that offense. Um, so a lot of people were really, really excited. But the spring game, from the thing I saw, um, I sent one of my uh, one of my trusty reporters to that one. Um, I was a bit busy that day, but from what I heard from him, from what everyone was saying, it was definitely a defensive masterclass in that one. And, uh, you know, you had some guys that maybe don't always get as much love that people were really excited to see how they developed. Um, sophomore defensive back Maxwell Harrison uh, was one that was apparently really, really um, a big showing in that game. Uh, defensive back Jordan Lovett was another one people seemed really excited for, and I think that's... I would argue almost that's even more important than some of those big flashy names, the guys that maybe you don't hear about all the time because, you know, there's 11 guys out there um, who all have to kind of do their role. You know, they've all got to fill in where they need to fill in. And sure, there's the big names who are always, you know, in the highlight reels, but what matters is those guys you don't hear about as much if they're doing their role. Um, You know, the kind of unsung heroes on the offense and the defense – from O-line to defensive linemen to anything like that who who doesn't always make the flashiest play but stays consistent and does the right thing. Um, and they definitely seem that those guys were the ones who were really showing out in the spring practice. So I think that shows a lot of promise that, you know, you've got a guy with a certain amount of star power, he's going to figure it out. You know, he, he's going he's gonna to get it right. But what you really want, especially in the spring, is those guys who you need to be consistent, you need to be firing on all cylinders at all times to be ready to do that. And they, those guys seem like they were definitely ready to do that. Absolutely. And, and no, I mean, yeah, Kentucky is kind of known for that. It, they're, they rotate guys in so often and stuff like that. So it's, it's even like, like looking at depth charts for them is so weird sometimes because it's like the guys that are starting might not even be on the field as much as some of those guys rotating in because it's, their defense philosophy is just wearing people down with physicality, and that's why you hear every every single game, like Kirby and all these players are always like, like, you know, they're a tough physical team every single time we play them. And and when we were talking to guys like Octavius at SEC Media Days, like, 
that was something they were they they take they take a lot of pride in and it's very clear that it's it's very much no one needs to be flashy we just need to wear down this team until they can't go another second and i think that's a really big embodiment for this kentucky team so but were there any players that specifically kind of stood out maybe as guys that are going to see the field a little bit more than others yeah, I mean, um, like I kind of mentioned a little bit there with Maxwell Harrison, he was the big takeaway from that performance. You know, uh, he's upcoming sophomore. So, you know, not a lot of people were expecting a ton from him. You know, maybe a guy who plays against some of the Ball States or EKUs in the schedule, but not as much once you get into SEC, a guy who needs more development. But, um, yeah, you can't take too much from a spring game necessarily, but the performance he showed, he seemed like a guy who could really step up and fill in some roles against big opponents. And, we can talk about big opponents. Kentucky has quite a few of them on their schedule this year. So, um, you know, a guy like that and, and Jordan Lovett both, I mean, guys who really display that they have what it takes to play in those SEC games and really um, shine through there, I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of excitement around that. Um, like I said, the offense didn't necessarily show out as much as a lot of people had hoped it would. But if you recall, um, a year ago, the offense didn't do that either. There was a lot of... Uh, question marks surrounding Levis coming into this year and obviously the offense had a, a down year but not to the degree that people were expecting after the last spring game they had I mean it um, it's almost like a Kentucky tradition these last few years to have a bad offensive spring and then figure it out come um, come season time but uh, Brad White you know like you said wearing down people you know not trying to just because someone's a big name not trying to fit a round peg into a square hole but you know saying hey we've got other pieces who can do this you'll go right back in after this play but this guy is perfect for this job you know knowing you can do that is really reassuring and guys like Maxwell Harrison Jordan Lovett who prove that they can really be out there and compete they're definitely guys who I think are going to see the field a lot um, this coming season on defense guys who you know like you said, maybe not always the most flashy, but guys I think you will definitely have heard of by the end of this season. Absolutely. And, I mean, you touched on it. I mean, Kentucky's got a, a tough schedule this upcoming season. And, and it is going to be nice because there are you do have a couple opponents that I think that you should be able to kind of figure out the lineup and stuff like that. Kind of like every SEC schedule is. Georgia's got uh, plenty of those to, be, to uh, start out the season. But let's go and jump right in. Kind of walk me through this season. Who are some of the the toughest teams that Kentucky's got to face this year? So we got a pretty standard Kentucky schedule with just a really, really tough SEC slate. You know, we always started off with a Mac school, get some action going. We got Ball State this year to start it off. Um, then we play our uh, – every SEC school seems to play an FCS school. So we got uh, hometown locals, EKU, just uh, about 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes south of here in Richmond, Kentucky. That's where I actually grew up, uh, Roll Kearns all the way. Um, got Eastern Kentucky coming into play. We got Akron after that. Um, you know, first of a three-game slate, which will also see us play at Akron in 2024, interestingly enough. Um, and then we really get into the bulk of our SEC schedule, which is what a lot of people actually care about when you look at schedules. So we got a revenge match at Vanderbilt, trying to redeem the loss from last year. You got Florida at home. You know, they traveled down to the Swamp last year, so they got, uh, they got that team at home. Then you got your first big, big time match that people are really hyping up at UGA. Obviously, you know, always a brutal, brutal place to play. Um, and that's that's the there's a there's obviously one other one we'll get to in a minute that everyone has circled maybe more than the UGA one this year. But 
every year the UGA game is one that's circled on everybody's calendars because that is usually the game that determines, you know, what are we going to do this year? What is our ceiling? And uh, usually that ceiling is below UGA. <laughs> um, so that's one people are, are obviously looking forward to at UGA. Is it going to be a tough one? Then we got Missouri at home. Uh, obviously, we traveled out to Columbia last year. I made that trip. Um, I believe I made all the trips last year except for the bowl game, I want to say. I don't think I went to uh, – no, they didn't play at Starkville last year. They played at Starkville this year. Um, speaking of which, we got UT at home. You know, Tennessee is a team that has had Kentucky's number here a few years now, so um, it's definitely a big one. Last year's uh, match at Tennessee was uh, whatever you want to say the opposite of pretty is. It was, it was ugly. <laughs> it was ugly. Um, then we traveled to Starkville to play Mississippi State. That's a tough one, you know, for Kentucky. Um, certainly Kentucky and Mississippi State seem to like to trade blows back and forth. It uh, seems to be whichever team is home is the one who gets the better of that one, and that doesn't bode well for Kentucky. Um, Starkville is always a tough place to play. Rest in peace, Mike Leach, everything he built out there. Um, but that's one that you know, Kentucky is going to need to win. And then comes the big one, the one that everyone's been hyped up about since it was announced. Kentucky will host Alabama. And, man, that place is going to be rocking. I believe the tickets are already sold out in the student section at least. Um I believe some something is sold out for that game. I know that for sure. But it is one that uh, I don't necessarily think Kentucky has a chance to win it, to be honest with you. Uh, maybe that's a hot take. But um, it's one that everybody in the state is going to be watching. I think Even if you're a Louisville fan, you're going to be watching Kentucky-Alabama because, you know, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And that, that Kroger Field is going to be absolutely packed for that one. Then you finish off the last two games on the road at South Carolina. Always a tough place to play. You know, the fans there are really, really supportive. Um, they get they create a real good hostile atmosphere for traveling teams. Uh, so definitely not easy coming off that Bama game. And then, of course, we always finish off our year with a good Governor's Cup battle against Louisville. This time we're at Louisville. Uh, so we'll travel up. It's kind of a debate around here if it's up or over. It's technically a little – it's technically more west than it is up, but who cares. I'm going to say travel up to Louisville um, and uh, finish off their season there. And obviously whatever bowl game they make, um, not to get too ahead of myself if they make a bowl game. No, I, th- I think I think it is fair to, to expect that considering that's just kind of Mark Stoops' specialty is just to make those constantly. Um, unless, unless, of course, you have some crazy bold take on that. But speaking of, I think I think it'd be fun to to mix it up a little bit to to get something bold, you know. So, for Kentucky for Kentucky specifically, what is one bold take that you have for them in, in this season specifically? It can be anything at all, but what do you got for me? It's not too bold, I don't suppose. But I mean, you look at that schedule. There's a lot of tough things on there. Um, certainly with Georgia and Alabama, a lot of people writing that off. But I think with Liam Cohen coming back. If the offensive pieces can be what people think they're going to be, Brad White defense can be what it should be. There's no reason, at the very least after a bowl game, this team couldn't be another 10-win team. And that would include some big wins. You know, wins over Tennessee at Mississippi State, at South Carolina. I mean, those are those are not going to be easy games to win. But I think that if the pieces are what we think they are, if everybody is playing the way they should, I mean, even with all those tough matches on the schedule, this team has the potential to win, have a 10-win season again. 
you know, to be back in those conversations for really, really good bowl games. And I think that, quite frankly, even if it may not be fair, that might be some people's expectation. Um, but I definitely think that that is a plausible reality for this team. And I think that is a bold take in and of itself when you look at the schedule because my more realistic approach is not 10 wins, we'll say that. Um, but I think that they are definitely capable of getting back to double-digit win number win figures. No, absolutely. And then, I mean, 10 wins, you know, I mean, can seem like kind of like, a, oh, okay, maybe that's not as bold of a take. That's a bold take for the SEC. It's that is hard to do. It's it's not something that just happens. Is is winning ten games? So that's definitely bold. It's it's maybe not uh you know Devin Leary winning the Heisman type bold, but but uh no ten wins is a bold is a bold take, and I think it's fair to say that that's probably the ceiling uh, that you've got for this team winning. But you just said it's it's probably not your reasonable expectations for this team. So let's let's take it down a little bit. Let's 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 put out the fires a little bit and. Let's go. What what do you think could be this team's possible floor? Uh, and then we'll hit right into your your genuine expectations on how you think this season's going to go for Kentucky. Oof. Um, I want to say the floor should be seven seven wins, but I mean that's if you want to be completely frank about it, the the rock bottom floor could be. I mean, I'm looking at this schedule and I see four or five games that I can't see them losing. So four or five is truthfully the floor. That's kind of more of a rock-bottom kind of floor than anything else. Um, I mean, you lose to Ball State, EKU, or Akron, that's a disaster. You can't be doing that. Um, Louisville, we usually get the best of Louisville, even if you know that's going to be a program with a new coach and all that. I mean, feeling confident in that one. Should beat Vandy. They usually beat Vandy. Vandy, Vandy beat them last year. They usually play close in Nashville, but they should beat Vandy should beat Florida at home. I mean, they beat Florida on the road last year. They should be able to beat Florida at home, should be able to beat Missouri at home. Um, everything else about that would be – everything else beyond that is going to be, I hope we can do this. So I'm going to say my realistic approach, looking at the schedule, I'm going to say I'm going to say seven or eight wins is what I could really see this team doing, maybe nine regular season to get to that 10 win if they get a good bowl game. Uh, kind of getting into more bowl. I'd say upside is getting into 10 wins with the bowl game. Uh, absolute floor, I'd say five or six. And then more realistic is around the, the seven win range, kind of like they were last year. Uh, but less disappointing than last year because of how difficult this schedule is versus how, not that last year's wasn't, didn't have tough games, but last year seemed like a schedule that should have been made for Kentucky to have a good year should have been a 10-win year, and just wasn't. This one is one that, man, if you get to 10 wins, that's something special with the schedule. It's a tough one. Um, this this is what people talk about when they mean the grind of an SEC schedule. No, absolutely. I mean, what, three, three top SEC teams between Georgia, Alabama, and then you can even throw Tennessee in there. Mississippi State is not a, a cakewalk. That's always a team that's going to be to bring it, especially now led by, uh, by Zach Arnett. Like, it's not it's not easy to get 10 wins in the SEC and again eight wins it, with with showing promise on offense and defense I feel like would still be a win for that Kentucky fan base. Yeah, I would agree, especially with how much new new pieces there are this year, you know, pieces that need to need to develop. I mean, this is when you look at this schedule and then you do take into account, you know, how many things are new with this team, how many things there are to figure out. I mean, 
it, this, there's not much more of a trial by fire than this, and um, they're they're being fed of the wolves. And I think, like you said, if they're showing promise, if they're winning a good amount of those games, um, obviously there's going to be people who wish they'd won more. But I think for the most part, the fan base, you got to be satisfied. you got to be happy with the development of this year. I mean, after a year like last year where you struggled and you lost some big pieces, I mean, most college football teams don't have the luxury that pro sports teams do of like a proper rebuild because you're dealing with players who are graduating every single year. But um, I think this upcoming year is as close to it gets as a, as a rebuild year, if you will. No, I completely agree. But Cole, I just wanted to thank you so much for, for coming on. This was an absolute pleasure. Love talking to Kentucky football with you, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to go ahead and uh, shout out or, or plug whatever you'd like and uh, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, so um, obviously right now we're uh, I'm working at the Kentucky Colonel with the journalism at UK. That's uh, kycolonel.com, uh, not kentuckycolonel.com. Kentuckycolonel.com is a flower company. <laughs> um, they got to it first, unfortunately. But um, kycolonel.com is where our sports stories are published. Um, I'm also uh, – my my passion, my, my job that I'm working that I just came back from for this podcast, I'm a big soccer guy. And uh, I'm working on building uh, Lexington Sporting Club. It's a professional soccer team here in Lexington. I'm doing a lot for that club, and I'm working there. And you know, that's hopefully a place that I'll be for years to come. So also, you know, if you want to check out Lex Sporting, um, you know, on Twitter, Instagram, our website, and come out to some games. You know, we're working on building a stadium here in downtown Lexington and trying to really get stuff going and grow soccer in the area so that's something I'm passionate about that's where I'll be doing a lot of my time and a lot of my um, work and where a lot of my passion is going to go into Um, but in the meantime I will be doing some work with the colonel and you know helping to cover UK sports so those are both where I'm going to be dividing a lot of my time and effort between and where you can find me if you're interested my twitter is uh, my name Cole Park underscore WSC uh, Park with an E at the end and uh, yeah you know I'm don't post a ton. Maybe some bold soccer takes if you're into that, but um, that's uh, that's where I'll be. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much, and, and best of luck with working with Lexington, Lexington and stuff like that. That's awesome. But again, man, thank you so much. This was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me.